Thank you. Well, uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 12 today in the Bible. Um, If you want to turn it up, it's on page 1079 of the Bibles uh, near to you. Should be one with our, within arm's reach. Um, for those of us who've been around for a, a while over these last few uh, Sundays, you'll remember that we're looking at John's Gospel, this account of Jesus' life and teaching, and uh, we're kind of um, kind of travelling with him and his disciples, uh, listening to what he says, seeing what he does, and uh, last time. Last week, we we saw him with his uh, very close friends, his disciples, and some other really close friends at a dinner that was being held in his honor. And remember, there's a a, a very unusual incident takes place where actually one of the hosts pours out expensive ointment on him onto his feet as he's reclining on a couch, as they did as they ate food in those days. That was how people sat around dining tables or dining areas and um, she did that as a sign of her love and her appreciation of Jesus she had a lot to be thankful for Uh, we saw a a week earlier how in fact Jesus had brought great glory to God shown people what God was like by raising her brother Lazarus from the dead and Mary his sister saw who Jesus was she valued him above everything else, as we uh, were thinking last week. And, and it's all happening at the Passover time, the main Jewish feast of the year. And uh, a lot's going on, including a plot has been hatched to get rid of Jesus. And the plot will be successful, or to one uh, extent anyway. Uh, and in, in, in this event, uh, it kind of, in, in this kind of passage, the Easter week is, is kind of starting off. We're in the last week of Jesus life so today we're going to see what happens next uh, the next day after that dinner after that incident uh, Jesus disciples have been in the village of Bethany which is just outside of Jerusalem uh, that's where they were presumably they stayed over after the dinner and now they're walking into Jerusalem uh, to be involved in the feast and the feast lasted about a week all kinds of things happen so let's read John 12 verses 12 to 21 we've already seen it on the screen but let's remind ourselves of what happened the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord blessed is the king of Israel Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written do not be afraid daughter of Zion see your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt at first his disciples did not understand all this only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb uh, uh, and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word many people because they had heard that he had performed this sign went out to meet him So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some uh, Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. And Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Let's stop there.
So first of all, then, we've got the king's arrival, as we've already been thinking about. Now, I'm sure you've all been involved in a big event. Ever been part of a crowd at something? Anyone been to the ro- a royal wedding? You know, or not actually in the royal Well, maybe someone's been in the wedding. But anyone been in London and cheered? Yeah, Iris, yeah. Someone behind? Yeah, a few people have, have experienced that. It's quite something, isn't it? I've never done that, but, you know, you've been to a big football match or a cup final or something. It's easy to get caught up in it. The nearest thing I I remember, some of you will remember this, in about 1982, that's a long time ago for some, do you remember uh, what was happening? Do you remember when the Canberra, you know, the P&O liner in Southampton, we lived in Southampton at the time, left for the Falkland Islands. Remember that? And uh, loads of people went out and uh, sort of watched the ship go out. And, and you know, I personally, I wasn't particularly excited about it or really, I don't even know why we went. But anyway, Mary and I were, there we were in Mayflower Park uh, along with everyone else. And, and, you know, I didn't really necessarily support the Falklands War personally, but that's only a political thing. But, uh, but I was still there and I found myself really caught up. In the, I don't think I became a raving patriot in that context overnight, but there was something about what was kind of happening. You, you kind of got involved and absorbed in the atmosphere. You know, even if you don't really care what's going on, as I didn't on that occasion really, but there was still something about being it. Well, that's how it was in this incident here. People are in Jerusalem for the Passover. Many thousands of extra people came. In fact, Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, on one occasion, probably with a little bit of propaganda in mind, actually, about, uh, in about AD 60 or so, wrote an account of how many people came to Jerusalem for the Passover around that time. And he reckoned it was about two and a half million extra. Now, Jerusalem isn't that big. And even given Josephus' exaggeration, and it was a little bit further on in the future, but it gives you an idea there were thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of extra people hanging out in Jerusalem for Passover. Some are from Galilee. They've come from the north down to be at Jerusalem because every Jewish man was expected to come to Jerusalem for the major festivals, and Passover was the major of the major, as it were. Uh, so some would have come down from the north, from Galilee, uh, and, they, and Jesus was from there. So they knew that Jesus, their local boy, you know, was there, and he was you know, making a bit of a splash. So they would have been there for him. Others have heard, as, as we read in the text, how Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, and so they're excited about that. Probably word has gone around that Jesus was back at Lazarus' place, and he's on his way into Jerusalem. So the crowd kind of come together. And they come together and they meet him. They, they pick up palm branches. There's plenty around. They grow in that part of the world, don't you know. There's shouts of Hosanna, which means save, praise God. They quote the famous psalms used at festivals, like Psalm 118. They're all welcoming him as king. They actually say, see it written down there, blessed is the king of Israel. Can you get the excitement of it? Like the royal wedding or something. You know, everyone's getting all caught up. What does Jesus do? Well, previously, when this kind of thing has happened, Jesus has gone away and hidden himself. The last thing he ever wants to do is to be recognized as king in that way. But this time, he doesn't. He finds, it says, a young donkey and he rides it. And we've thought about that already. The palm was a symbol of the, the, state, uh, the, the, <clears throat> the province, the area of Judea. 
bit later on when the Romans struck coins um, relating to events in Judea, they put a palm leaves on it. The palm was a kind of symbol. It was a bit of a political symbol, or it could have been. And it was also used in religious kind of uh, festivals. Not so much Passover, but certainly in the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, it was, they were used. There were all these kind of things going on symbolically. Kings come, as we saw, on fine white horses. Jesus chooses a donkey. Now, I was going to say, but it, the video was great. I was going to say, have you ever seen someone riding a donkey? And we did on the video. And I must say, it was the most well-behaved and kind of dignified donkey. Uh, I've, I've seen, I haven't seen many people riding donkeys, so forgive me. But I, you know, I've done a little bit of traveling in the Middle East and Asia. And normally, uh, I don't think donkeys are quite that chunky. Um, neither are they quite that well kind of behaved and uh, usually people sit on donkeys with their, le- their legs kind of splayed out and especially if the donkey is too small for you because it's deliberately chosen as a young one see get the picture so I'm not sure that Jesus in reality looked quite as regal and dignified as that donkey as the Hollywood one but I may be wrong it's only speculative but Jesus is deliberately making a point he's he's saying I'm not coming as your kind of king the, the king you're expecting because they had expectations. They were expecting a mighty Messiah, a successful victor, a powerful, mega, successful hero who would sort everything out in the way they wanted it sorted out. And Jesus is saying, I am not coming to meet your expectations. I am a different kind of king. More than that, he's deliberately fulfilling this prophecy in Zechariah. And in Zechariah 9, verse 9, well, let's uh, put, a, put a, th- a finger in uh, John 12 and look up page 955 in the Old Testament. And you'll see what it says there. So we're looking at verse 9. Of, uh, that's at page 955. Here it is. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt to the foal of a donkey. And it goes on to say, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is a prophecy about the king who would bring peace to the nations a king much more kind of influential with a different kind of power than they were expecting now today for many people jesus is still a great hero people are still fascinated and attracted to him at one level and that's great you know maybe our friends and family are like that jesus is a kind of interesting figure a popular figure maybe So let's not be ashamed of him. Let's use that opportunity. But this Jesus comes as king his way. Our coming king, the king who comes, is not through military might, not through uh, power and control. He's a king of peace. It says here, did you notice it says, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Now that's not in Zechariah, actually, but as John kind of 
puts it together and writes it up, he adds that or, or, or he sees that as part of what's going on. It's actually a reference from Isaiah 40. Another reference to God coming as king. And he says, don't be afraid. And it goes on to talk about how he'll look after people. He's the king on a donkey who will bring peace to many nations. Now, we may have expectations. We want to be powerful, don't we? We want to be successful. Maybe if we had a a leader who was saying uh, to us, if you vote for me... You know, you'll get tired of winning. You'll win so much, you'll be tired of winning. Maybe we we would say, you know, we want to see Great Britain great again. Maybe we would think we need to do do take certain things so that we can we can be marvelous, we can be powerful, we can have more influence. We want a king to give us that, a king that might give us a special deal for Brits. How about that? Especially as we get out of Brexit. That's the kind of king we want. Best deal for us. Someone to do what we want. Let's realize that Jesus is a very different kind of king. There's no room for nationalism with him as we shall see. He wants all people from everywhere to know him. Don't make Jesus the king of your expectations. He's a different king. And his way of being king is very different, as we shall see in a moment. So while all this is going on, how are the disciples getting on then? Well, verse 16, it says they're a bit confused. They don't understand what's going on. Ever been there? They were often in that place. It's interesting, the Pharisees see it. And just like a passage or two earlier, they see things that actually others haven't seen. They say, look, the whole world is going after him. Yeah, they, they are. And there's a reason for that. But they don't, they don't want to know, and so they don't get it in that sense. But there are some people in Jerusalem from that outside world. They're called Greeks. They're not Jewish. They're there worshipping at the, at the temple, uh, or maybe I do, we don't fully know exactly uh, if they were what's called proselytes, if they'd been kind of uh, come fully into Judaism, they could have gone right through into the whole of the, the celebration. Or it may be that they were just interested so they could go to the court of the Gentiles in the temple. But, but the point is, at the time, there were lots of others around who were interested in finding about, out about Israel's God. And these Greeks, they talked to one of the disciples. They seek out a disciple called Philip, who's got a Greek name. Philip is a a Greek name, originally. And they think, they get talking with him. Philip's from Bethsaida, right up the north. He's from the north of Galilee, right by the border with the Gentile world, um, the Greek-speaking kind of uh, world. And so he's naturally the one they find. And they say, can we see Jesus? And Philip takes him to Andrew, and they go and tell Jesus. And this has a great effect on Jesus. Let's see what happens. Let's read on from verse 23 to 33. Jesus, so they went and tell Jesus, and Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have, oh, sorry, that's verse 33. So as far as I want to go for now. So we thought about the king's arrival. Now we're going to think about the king's way. The way Jesus is king. We've already thought that he's different. How is his kingship seen? And it's almost like verse 23. It's like an alarm clock has gone off, isn't it? <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Andrew and, and Philip come to Jesus and say, these Greeks want to talk to you. And it's like a... A trigger. It's like Jesus kind of says, Now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Why is that? Well, well, we don't know for sure. Maybe Jesus has that Zechariah prophecy still in his head. Or maybe others, like from Isaiah 52 into Isaiah 53, which talks about how the servant of God who suffers will touch many peoples. Or for some other reason. But whatever it is, Jesus says, look, now the whole process of his becoming the king for everyone has started. Throughout John's gospel, he's often said, talks about this hour or this time. And he's always said previously, the hour has not yet come. Do you remember in the wedding at Cana in Galilee? His mother said, will you do this? And, and, she, and Jesus says, look, why do you want me to do this? My hour has not yet come. And several times in John's gospel, he says the same thing. But now, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, imagine you were there listening to him say that. Wow. Woohoo. Glorified. That's great. The Son of Man is now to be glorified. You'd have known, you'd have had bells ringing in your head if you were a Jewish person. You knew the Old Testament scriptures because the Son of Man, especially in Daniel chapter 7, is this figure who was going to come to, to, to God and be given authority over all the nations. The Son of Man was, was he, that was it. <laughs> this is it. Fantastic. The Messiah is come. Everything's going to be fine. He's going to be glorified. It's going to be great for us. That's what would be in your head when you heard the phrase, the Son of Man is going to be glorified now. That's what you would have thought. Maybe that's what we think. But Jesus is not the king of their expectations or ours. He is his own king. And he points out an important principle of how his kingdom works. It may be summarized simply in this way. The way up is down. 
That's what he says. You think it's all about getting up to the top. You think it's all about being powerful and, and successful and glorious and, you know, beating up everybody. He said, I'm going to tell you something else. The way to that glorification is going to be in the opposite direction. And he gives them a picture of a seed. He said, you know, when you plant a seed in the earth, you're going to plant a seed and it's going to produce many other seeds. Simple fact of gardening. Stick in one seed into the earth. Eventually, plant grows. It's got loads of seeds in it. Is that correct? I think that's about roughly right, scientifically. Well, in practice. That's what Jesus says. And he's using it as an illustration. He says, look, yeah, there's going to be glory there's going to be a harvest there's going to be amazing consequences but first just like when the seed goes into the ground it has to die so that it can produce many others that's how it's going to be for jesus he says he's got the cross in mind as we shall see that's how it's going to be for me says jesus and you know what that is how it can be for his followers too Because if he is our king, then we follow him his way. Our king gives up everything. If we follow him, then we need need to hold on to our lives and everything else we have, perhaps a little more lightly than we might be inclined to do. Why do we do that? Well, because we love him. We don't do it, you know, to try and be, you know, holy or righteous or miserable or something. We do it because we love our king, like Mary did. We do it because we want to be with him. And we want to walk with him. And we're going to follow him. And if his path is to suffering, then we're going to go with him. Because we want to be with him. We love him. We want that more than anything else. You see what he calls us in these verses? Those who follow him, he calls them servants. My servants, he says. He is the servant king, and he invites us to follow him in that same path, costly though it may be. And he promises to be with us on that journey, because that's what it says here. See that? Whoever serves me must follow me, And where I am, my servant also will be. He doesn't abandon us. He's with us in that totally. And more than that, he says in verse 20, uh, sorry, in verse, uh, the end of verse 26, my father will honor the one who serves me. The favor of the father will rest on those who walk with Jesus his way. How about that? How about that for us? Are we willing to walk that way? And as Jesus talks about that way, about that path, he becomes deeply troubled. Look at verse 27. Now he says, my soul is deeply, deeply troubled. The very kind of inner part of me, my whole being. Soul in the scriptural, in the Bible's phrases, is not like, you know, the the bit of us that, Oh, well, I don't know how to describe it. And when we think about the soul, it's some airy-fairy thing. No, the soul is about the whole of the person. 
That's why in the psalm he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's not saying, I want that little bit of me that's spiritual to bless the Lord and everything else can do what it wants. He's saying, oh, everything, when he goes on to say, all that is within me, bless his holy name. And Jesus says, I am deeply troubled. And remember, Andrew is telling us in, Luke, in John 11 a few weeks ago, when Jesus was at the graveside of Lazarus, remember, he was deeply troubled and the word is it's an unusual word but it it is deep it's it's like being overwhelmed it has a kind of connotations of 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 when somebody kind of sighs or i think um i read somewhere that you even use it it's like a word that you know of when a camel snorts you know it's that kind of idea of a oh it's kind of you know, and not, you know, sorry, I made you laugh there, but, you know, but, but in a sense of, of trouble and distress. And Jesus is saying, this is, this is how I'm feeling. He shares it with the people. And what Jesus is about to go through is the road to the cross. Because it's Palm Sunday. And it's Easter week. And Jesus knows what's coming at the end of this week. And as he's aware of it, the, something overwhelms it like a tsunami. It hits him. It's actually the same experience he has in the Garden of Gethsemane, actually. At one level, everything in his human experience, in his human nature, wants to say no to what is ahead of him. He wants to pray a way out of this path to the cross. And yet there's a part of him too that wants to do what the Father has given him. He wants to, to love and fulfill and serve his Father's will. And in the kind of middle of that, it, it almost kind of tears him apart. And there's only one prayer he can pray. Father, he says, glorify your name. I want to pray, take it away. But I want to, I want to obey you because I love you. Father, glorify your name. Rather, as he does in Gethsemane a few days later. He prays that God's name will be glorified in his obedience to the Father's will. And as I say, he'll be there again before the week is out. But this time he'll be sweating blood at the prospect. Now, there may be times in our lives where there is only one prayer we can pray. And that is this, Father, glorify your name. I don't understand it. It's too much. Father, glorify your name. I don't want this, Lord. I don't like it. Father, glorify your name. It's impossible. I'm hurt. Father, glorify your name. I'm angry. I'm desperate. Father, glorify your name. Sometimes it's the only prayer we can pray. It was for Jesus at that moment. And it's not just for extreme times. Think about the Lord's Prayer. The first few lines, what are they? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's actually, Father, glorify your name by your will being done in our obedience. So it's not just a prayer for extremists, although uh, there are times when that is all we can pray. But it is something we pray. 
And as Jesus cries out in this turmoil, there's an answer. A voice comes from heaven that reassures him and he says is a sign to those around. And Jesus starts again with this now moment. He says, now the time has come. He says, now some things are going to happen. He knows he's going to the cross. He makes that clear uh, by talking about being lifted up. And he says there are going to be three outcomes of what he is going to do. Here's the first outcome. The world, he says, is judged. The world is going to be judged. It will be seen for what it is. We, as a human race, will be seen for what we are. As we brutally murder the loveliest man. Who has ever lived. Why? Because we don't want him to be our king. The son of God is going to be executed by the human race. And in that event, God's verdict on on our, our sin and our rebellion will be declared. And more than that, his judgment will fall. And that sin and rebellion will be dealt with once and for all by God in the person of Jesus, his son. Jesus will bear the consequences of our sin. He is going to take the judgment. And Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. It's now. Secondly, Jesus says in his, uh, what he's doing on the cross, the reign of the prince of this world comes to an end. That's the Bible's name for the devil, for Satan, for the accuser. Jesus says, as I go to the cross, he is being driven out. Jesus' death on the cross, at that point, the ultimate hold that evil has on us is broken. Sure, the devil can still intimidate us. He can still damage us. He still works in the world. But something else has happened because Jesus has overcome. It's only a matter of time. Before that is completed. Now says Jesus. In the cross. It's happened. Or it will happen. The battles are ahead. But the war has been won. Jesus people connected to him. Indwelt by his powerful spirit. Bring his love and light into darkness everywhere. And the third consequence. Of Jesus being lifted up. He says I'm being lifted up. A word that can mean being crucified. Or glorified. He said, uh, it's like a magnet for people from every part of humanity are going to be coming to know me, says Jesus. He's going to be glorified by going to a cross. But he is that kind of king. He's not going to stay on the cross. But as he dies, his kingship is fully active. On Good Friday, we'll think about the things Jesus said on the cross as we go with music and readings and other things. One of the things Jesus said, remember what the thief said? The thief says, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. What does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said, I'm in my kingdom. (laughs) It's already here. I am the king on the cross. You'll be with me, he says to the thief, today. This is the way Jesus is king. This is the way of the king. He is glorified as he's lifted up on the cross. He is the king who who brings true justice into the world, who defeats Satan and will bring to himself people from every nation, everywhere, as he goes to the cross. Not everyone. 
but there will be people from everywhere. And that's why Easter is so special. It's what we're focusing on through this week and next weekend. Our past is dealt with at the cross. Our sin has been judged and paid for by Jesus. Our present can be transformed because we can say no to temptation and to evil because the devil is disarmed. And we can have a future purpose, present and purpose, future, being part of what Jesus is doing as people from everywhere, every part of humanity are attracted to him. What Easter celebrates, goodness, a great cost, but a great victory, and we can be part of it. But not everyone listening are quite on board. Let's look at verse thirty-four. Here's the crowd again. They speak up. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? See, they don't recognize he's not their kind of son of man, you see. And Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. So we've talked about the king's way. Now let's think about finally and briefly the king's invitation. The crowd is still arguing with Jesus. Their king is supposed to be victorious. They don't want a king who's going to get crucified. Oh, no. And these are Jesus' last words to the crowd. From now on in John's gospel, he's going to be teaching his disciples. And he tells the crowd to get away from your expectations. Don't be hung up by the king you want me to be. Accept me for the king that I am, he's saying. He said, you've seen enough. He said, you've got light. You've seen it all. It's all there right in front of you. Follow that light. Believe it while you still have time. Jesus has been inviting people to follow him all through John's gospel. To believe in him. To welcome his reign and rule. And through these last few chapters and earlier on, we see three responses. The Pharisees saw it all, but they refused to believe it. The crowd go with what they like. They try and make Jesus fit their needs and expectations, and they end up missing it too. But the disciples, they don't get it at first, but they follow Jesus. They stick with Jesus. They love Jesus. They stay in the light. They believe. And they become, as Jesus puts it here, children of light. Something changes in the way that they are. Their whole spiritual DNA, as it were, is changed. They become children of light. That's his invitation. So what about that then? To believe, to let Jesus be the king he is, not the king we want him to be necessarily. To welcome him into our lives, to turn from sin, to trust him. And we change in that. Our nature changes. We don't have all the answers like the disciples. It may take a while before we get a lot of things, but we go with our king because he says, where I am... He says, my servant will also be. Isn't that where you want to live your life? With him? I know I do. (laughs) That means when we don't get it. It means that when we don't like it. (laughs) It means that when we don't understand it, we let him be the king that he is. And we pray, Father, glorify your name. And we trust him with what we don't know.
because he is reliable. He is trustworthy. He completed what he came to do. Let's continue as we uh, respond in worship and praise.